On her way out the door, she kind of turned back and said, by the way, are you a veteran? Well, when I said yes, fireworks went off. Good day, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I'm Mike Stevenson, one of your hosts, and my co-host Jeremy Holden is with me as usual. Jeremy, this week in the United States, we are celebrating Veterans Day. We are. A great day to uh, reflect on the service of all the men and women who uh, have served this country in the military over the years. And in order to help kick that off or to help celebrate that, we spoke to a veteran, and of course, as, as many of our listeners are, I'm sure, aware, veterans, people who served in, uh, regardless of branch, regardless of whether it's peacetime or wartime, but people who serve in the military are up to two times more likely to develop ALS. That's correct. Uh, the disease disproportionately impacts veterans, and we don't know why. And Air Force veteran John Hartwell of Florida was gracious to give us some of his time to talk about that, as well as the importance of continuing to raise awareness and, and why we need to invest in research that will bring us answers about how this disease impacts veterans and many others across the world. Let's listen back to our conversation with John Hartwell now. Today we are speaking with military veteran John Hartwell from his home in Florida. Thanks for your time and for joining us on Connecting ALS, John. Anytime. We are, of course, going to spend some time discussing your ALS diagnosis, John, and how you've been managing in 2020 with the pandemic and, and everything else uh, that's brought new challenges this year. But uh, this week in the U.S., uh, we celebrated Veterans Day, honoring the men and women who have sacrificed and served their country in the armed forces. Can you uh, tell us uh, what that day means to you personally as you reflect upon your time in the Air Force? Well, I mean, it's a, a day of, you know, the nation thanking the veterans for the job they've done. Um, I served only four years in. There are a lot of these you know, people I've known that, that have done their whole career in, in the military, been all over the world. Uh, my overseas action was only in Thailand. I spent a year there at the end of the uh, Vietnam era. But, uh, hey, it's nice to see a lot of the, the population now thanking the veterans, uh, which is a big difference from when I came back. And thank you for your service. Talk to us a little bit about your ALS journey, your diagnosis, your progression, and where you are. Obviously, our listeners know that, that veterans are more likely to be diagnosed with ALS, something that we reflect upon often. But talk to us a little bit about your ALS journey. Well, I was uh, had initial symptoms in January of 2015 started getting muscle spasms in my hand, which eh, didn't really bother me. I just found it a little bit annoying, like my left hand would cramp up and I'd have to use my right hand just to straighten out my fingers. And uh, as I said, it didn't really bother me. I just thought it was a little weird. A few months after that, I went to my chiropractor thinking, oh, this is a kind of a, a nerve issue, it might be a pinched nerve or what have you. And I described it to him as a cramp at the time. And he said, well, you know, load up on your calcium rich foods and milk and that type of thing. And mm. I went on my merry way and not worried about it and had my annual physical, I believe in July, same year, 2015. I mentioned the same thing to my primary doctor and 
He you know, ran some blood tests and once again, checked my calcium because I had described it as a cramp. Everything came back fine. And I basically ignored the any other symptoms of which I started getting fasciculations, which are like little muscle twitches that are involuntary. But that just started happening a little bit at a time in my arms. Once again, nothing to bother me. It just eh, a little bit weird and uh-huh. didn't really care too much about it. The following May, I was building a prop for my daughter's wedding and was reaching up to pull down a 10-foot fiberglass ladder from some hooks in the garage and found I couldn't hold it. Uh-huh. Now, it's, you know, about 45 pounds. I mean, it's not light, but at the same time, I've never had an issue with that before. Sure. So week after in the following week was my daughter's wedding. And a week after that, I would made an appointment at a neurologist. So as you were going through this kind of battery of tests and then trying to figure out what was going on uh, physically, John, at any point, uh, did a neurological disorder like ALS cross your mind? Was it something you were familiar with at the time? Well, I had heard of Lou Gehrig's disease in the past. I didn't know mm-hmm. anything about it. Mm-hmm. When I was in the Air Force, I was a medical lab tech. So I was you know, used to hearing about different things, but there is no lab test for ALS. And so I didn't know much about it. Right. The... The neurologist initially had told me after he was watching me for oh, about five or 10 minutes and watching my, you know, my muscle fasciculations, told me to, I had a year and a half to two years to get my affairs in order. Oh, wow. But he didn't tell me at the time what he thought it was. Hmm. And he also suggests I get a second opinion, but I hadn't had the first yet. Right. <laughs> which was kind of weird to complicate things. His receptionist gave me the um, business card of a doctor at University of Miami who specialized in Parkinson's instead Mm. of ALS. Mm. So I went home, told my wife, hey, this is something weird's going on. Mm. But, uh, you know, I made the appointment, but went online immediately to research Parkinson's. Now, my mother-in-law had lived with us for a while and she had Parkinson's before she passed. And I knew I didn't have those symptoms. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. I w- went to the, uh, got my MRI and another nerve test. And when I returned to the neurologist for a follow-up visit, the first thing I asked him was, what do you think I have? because you gave me a card for a guy of Parkinson's. Right. And that's when he pulled me into the room and said, well, you know, I think it's ALS, which mm. once again, didn't really mean much to me because I hadn't done my research. Yeah. yeah. But he gave me the correct card. I did line up an appointment down at University of Miami. It took me, initially it would have taken me four months to see a neurologist there, but they were able to move me up to August And uh, they basically repeated the same test and gave me the same result. Hmm. What an anxiety-ridden and difficult time that must have been just going through all that. We hear that from so many individuals who have been diagnosed with ALS, how hard it is, that that process of the testing and and 
a long period of waiting to find out. And um, that just must have been uh, really weighing on you. Yeah, the one waiting for the second opinion is like waiting for an appeal of a death sentence. So, you know, when it was originally four months, I mean, wow. Yeah, yeah. That was tough, but they were able to cut it down to, you know, about two months. So that helped, that helped a little. So what came next when you got through that drawn out process you described? Talk to us about the next day and the days that came after. Well, okay. Basically, I went full tilt into research online to find out Mm -hmm. everything I could about ALS, what it was, what caused it, what possible cures there were for it, what type of treatments. And it's amazing the amount of crap you can discover online (laughs) that is obviously fictitious Mm. i mean some stuff was just ridiculous sure yet the you know more research to realize that if i was lucky i'd live uh three to five years 80 percent they had an 80 percent mortality rate under five years well i've been progressing extremely slowly so i'm already four years in and i've just recently started using a wheelchair even though, well, my arms don't really work very well at all. But that's about where I'm at on my journey. Mike mentioned earlier that we recently uh, honored veterans with Veterans Day. I don't know if you know, but November is also Family Caregivers Month. Can you talk a little bit about your caregiver as we think back about the caregivers in the ALS community in this month of, of honoring them? Well, I'm fortunate to have my wife, mostly the one in charge of taking care of me, uh, in January, we will have been married 40 years. So, hey, wow, congratulations. congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. I, I also have another caregiver that comes three times. Well, actually, next week, she'll start on a daily schedule, five days a week. Basically, uh, get me breakfast and in and out of the shower and dressed and, you know, ready to go for the day just to take another, pro, you know, function away from my wife. You know, she has too many other things to do for me. Sure. Uh, and at 40 years, that's amazing. That's a, that is a milestone right there, John. Congrats to the two of you. I want to ask you, or we want to ask you in a, in a moment here, how this year in particular has been for you and your wife uh, with the pandemic and everything that's gone on with that. But before we get into that, can you tell us, if you don't mind, what sort of resources uh, you've been able to utilize down there in Florida? Are you attending an ALS clinic? Are you connected to your local chapter of the ALS Association? Well, yeah, I uh, attend the Broward County monthly meetings late. Uh, so far this year, they've been basically virtual. Mm-hmm. We'll have our next one on Monday. And also they have a veterans ALS group, which is you know a phone conversation sure. um, once a month as well for vets all over Florida. Now, as far as resources, when I was attending an ALS clinic at University of Miami in uh, January of 2017, the way the the clinics work is you basically sit in a room and everybody comes to you. Mm -hmm. The neurologist, the social worker, the psychiatrist, the respiratory therapist, And one of the people was from the ALS uh, organization. Well, we were talking, she was telling me about, you know, what's available and 
you know, what they could do, you know, what you guys could do for me. And on her way out the door, she kind of turned back and said, by the way, are you a veteran? Well, when I said yes, fireworks went off. Hmm. It turns out that I wasn't aware of the VA's support for ALS. Mm-hmm. But when my neurologist came in about half an hour later for his appointment, I mentioned that I was a vet to him. And it seems that he had trained the neurologist at the Miami VA. Oh, wow. Well, he gave him a call. And the Dr. Alameda replied to me, basically did a, a pre screening to make sure I qualified, which I did. And uh, wow, from that point on, he, he turned me over to a guy named Raul Acuna from the Paralyzed Veterans of America, mm-hmm. which, which works in conjunction with the VA. And at that point, it hit the fan. The amount of support that started pouring in from the VA was incredible. That's good, great to hear that that support is available to our veterans and certainly our veterans who are living with ALS. And as we, we reflect back this week on the support that we need to provide our veterans, it's so inspiring to hear that that support is available. So John, this year, as we've been kind of dancing around in this conversation, has been so challenging for many around the globe in different ways with the uh, pandemic changing so much about the way we live. And for those such as yourself living with ALS, it's it's often led to additional difficulties and in many cases increased isolation uh, because everyone wants to, of course, limit exposure, potential exposure to COVID. Can you tell us how you and your wife have been managing that aspect of 2020 uh, with everything going on around you? Well, prior to this year, we were doing a lot of traveling while I could before I started hitting the wheelchair level. And once the pandemic started, it was like, well, that's on hold and really hasn't really been a problem because between trips, I basically would hang out at home. Um, I'm not working anymore. You know, it seems like the, you know, one day, one day goes into the next. It's, mm. uh, it's hanging out at, the, at home, you know, playing on the computer for what I can do and, you know, watching TV or whatever. Sure. Sure. Well, and, and I'm glad that you do, you and you and your wife have one another. And, and after four decades together, I'm sure you've you've had plenty to talk about this year <laughs> with the time that you're spending together and, and hopefully planning future trips looking into 2021 and beyond as the world starts to get back to the place we were that we hope. Well, thank you again so much, uh, John Hartwell, for uh, sharing your story with us. And as we celebrated Veterans Day this week in the United States, Thank you to all of our service members, uh, the men and women who have sacrificed so much for our country. It was great hearing from you today, John, and and we wish you and your family the best. Great. Thank you. Always great, Mike, to talk to a member of the U.S. military, a veteran of our armed forces, and uh, of course, a wonderful conversation with John Hartwell this week. Yes. Thank you again to all the men and women who serve our country. and, And this week, of course, we are celebrating Veterans Day, but we need to do a better job as a nation recognizing uh, the efforts and the impact of our veterans year-round. So thanks again to Mr. Hartwell for his time today. 
Coming up next week, uh, we will be speaking with Senator Lisa Murkowski of Alaska about the recently revised Act for ALS Act and what that legislation might mean for the ALS community. There's some big news around that, Jeremy. Yeah, really looking forward to hearing from Senator Murkowski about the Act for ALS bill and and where it goes from here. And of course, for listeners who follow the ALS Association on social media, Facebook, Twitter, probably saw that the Senate, where where Senator Murkowski is a member of the Appropriations Committee, the Senate is now advocating for $40 million in funding for the Defense Department ALS Research Program. Uh, That needs to move forward into negotiations with the House and, of course, We'll be talking to Senator Murkowski about that. So, so big news in funding for ALS research at the federal level. And uh, looking forward to our conversation next week with Senator Murkowski from Alaska. That is huge news. Uh, so make sure that you tune into that one. And the best way to remember that is to subscribe to Connecting ALS wherever you get your podcasts or at our website, connectingals.org. While you're there, we would really appreciate it if you dropped us a review. If you wouldn't mind, those ratings and reviews help others discover this show. You can also follow our Facebook and Twitter channels from there. This week's episode was produced by Garrett Teeman of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thank you all for listening, and we'll connect with you again very soon. 